Well, good morning. Okay, so we'll try that again. Um, see, I come from Kenya, and where I come from, people like being said hi to. So we'll try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, thank you. You're awake. It is a delight to be here. Thank you so much for for having me. Thank you, Matt, for inviting me to come and share from the scriptures here this morning. Before we jump in, I'd like to pray. And um, even as I pray, I would like you to pray as well. And the reason why I'll invite you to pray is because I think when you listen to any sermon, be it this one this morning or any sermon from any pastor, I'd strongly encourage you to pray that whatever text is being taught, that that passage finds soft soil in your heart and that you may live out the implications of the passage and the word that you're hearing preached. And so I would encourage you to pray for yourself as well, that the Spirit of God would take what is said and affirm it in your, in your heart and then enable you to live out its implications. Okay? So let's pray, and then we will jump into this text together. Father, we have sung beautifully here this morning. We have fellowship with people prior to the service. And now, Lord, we want to steal our hearts to hear from you. Father, I pray for myself, and I ask, dear Lord, that you'd be gracious and kind to me to allow me to be clear and articulate to handle this text well. Pray for my dear brothers and sisters here this morning that, Lord, you'd enable them to hear what you have to say through this text. And I pray, dear Lord, for all of us, myself included, that, Father, you'd help us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, that the truths that this text will bring before us, Lord, would be lived out faithfully. I commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you will need a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the text that uh, we'll be working our way through. Now, I became a Christian as a young man in Africa. And one of the things that, um, as, a, as a new Christian, I was studying the biblical text. I was going to various churches, uh, various Christian meetings. And one of the things that I kept hearing on and on, over and over, is discover your spiritual gift. And I wondered, what is that? So I began looking to find out, okay, what is my gift? Because the preacher was saying that every single Christian would have a spiritual gift. So I wondered, what is my gift as a Christian? What is mine? And so I went to this one particular meeting, and the pastor there really emphasized that speaking in tongues was the one that you really needed to seek after. And so I listened to him a little bit more, and I really wanted this gift because, man, if you have this gift, then, man, it's kind of like you're on a different level, or at least that's how it was being portrayed. And so he finished his preaching, and then he invited people to come to the altar, so I came to the front, and then I lifted up my hands, you know, really desiring to receive this gift. Eyes closed, everything, tears, the whole works. First night, uh, nothing happened. I came back the next week, went up to the front again. I had prayed all week, fasted even. And I knew me and I knew the, the genuineness of my heart because I was really, really wanting God 
to move and work in my life. And to give me this gift. I really wanted it. And I pursued it. And desired it. With all my heart. He came. He prayed. He laid his hands on me. Nothing. And I kept coming and kept coming. Week after week. Week after week. Nothing was happening. And then I concluded. You know what? It's all fake. Either God doesn't love me so much. Or it's all phony. And I walked away. From this charismatic, in quotes, movement, because I was thinking, there is no way. I was genuine. I knew me. I was genuinely seeking this gift. There is no way that God would have missed me. No way. Because I was praying for other things, and God would answer. I would see God working in my life in different, in different um, uh, settings. Why is it that this particular thing is not? So it's phony. So I left. But God, in his humor, in various circumstances, the various people who are mentoring me, people who are looking up to, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, I found out later on that these individuals, some of them, not all of them, some of them spoke in tongues, privately. I was like, what? Like, you see, what? And, and, these are individuals whom I was very close to. I rubbed shoulders with. I admired how they walked with the Lord. I saw their families. I saw their kids. I saw their business, their ministry. They loved the word of God. How is it that they have this thing and I know that I earnestly sought after it. I didn't get, what? Enter 1 Corinthians 12. Where did I miss it? What is this whole subject of spiritual gifts? How is it that some can have this one and others not, even though you're seeking after it wholeheartedly? This is the conversation we'll be having here this morning. And it's not just going to be centered on tongues specifically, though any time this conversation of spiritual gifts is addressed... The idea of tongues or the topic of speaking in tongues is a thing. So this passage is actually very controversial and we'll talk about the controversy in a bit. But it'll be a fun ride as we unpack what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. And we'll go through this in four sections. First, we look at one faith, then one God, one giver, and one body. So one faith, one God, one giver, and one body. So one faith. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Now, before we read, I'm going to be working using the NIV translation. Now, I know um, you all use the ESV, and I also prefer the ESV, but for this particular text, I'll go to NIV because it's just an easier read, because some of the conversation we'll be having here is deeply theological. So I just want you not to miss the point because of the language. So NIV is what I'll be working with. So if you have an electronic gadget that has the Bible app on it, you can follow on NIV or it'll be up on the screen. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3, one faith. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So there's something he wants to tell these people. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray 
to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. Now, let's just unpack a little bit what Paul is trying to say here. But in order to understand, let's do a little bit of history. So, Corinth, the city, was a very, very pagan city. So, think Las Vegas on steroids. And the reason why I say Las Vegas on steroids, this is why. Corinth was extremely promiscuous. So, they had a hill. And on top of the hill was a temple. And this temple was dedicated to a goddess called Aphrodite. And parents who wanted to show their dedication to Aphrodite would even take their children and leave their children there to serve as priests or priestesses in this temple dedicated to this goddess. And there were priests and priestesses who, some were old grandpas and grandmas, and others were young children. Five, six, seven-year-old kids. How you worship this goddess was you would go up there, male or female, and you would engage in promiscuous activity with the priests and priestesses in this temple. Up to and including chants and divination and witchcraft, but the center was promiscuous activity. And I'm using... um, coded language, you know what I'm saying, because we have kids in the service. And so in the evening, when it's now dusk, the sun has gone down, the priests and the priestesses would leave the temple, come down the hill into the city and prostitute themselves as a form of worship. To the extent where pagans would say, the road to Corinth is not for every man. So you're a pagan dude and you're seeing your buddy who's saying, hey, I'm going to Corinth to shop. You're like, dude, are you serious? Do you really know Corinth? It's almost like um, if you hear some young guys who are saying, hey, we are going to Vegas on spring break. You basically know what's going on there. That's not going to, the, the fun that they're going to have, you'd be like, uh, are you sure? The same thing, people going to Corinth. So now, Paul comes here, the gospel is preached, people become Christians, and they come to church. Now, the Corinthians who are Gentiles, they are non-Jews, they become Christians, they are now in church. Question, these are the same people who used to go up to that temple. And that was one of multiple temples that they worshipped God. They worshipped their gods and their idols. So now they've become Christians, they've left the idolatry, they've come to church. The question is, have they left their idolatry? It's like we would say we are Christians, we're all Christians here, right? But there is a specific question that you wouldn't want Pastor Pastor Matt to ask you. You know that question that you don't want the pastor to ask you? That sinful thing that's still in your life? Yeah, that one. It's still there. And yet you're a follower of Jesus. That worldly thing still lingers. So for the Corinthians, yeah, that thing was still there. And many. And so many of them began to syncretize. To syncretize meaning they mixed their pagan beliefs with the Christian beliefs. 
And so when they come to church, they begin to see what's going on. The gifts of the Spirit of God are at work, like prophecy. So someone comes and say, hey, I, I received a word from the Lord, and the Lord is saying, and they would say. They would see some people who are speaking in tongues, and tongues, tongues are being spoke. They would see people being laid hands on and prayed for, and the sick would get well. The lame would walk. The blind would see. They are seeing all these things, and then they begin to recall, you know what? In our, in our pagan religions, we had something kind of like this. So, for example, um, in pagan worship, there's something called ecstasy. And ecstasy means this um, sensuous, um, um, sensuous uh, frenzied, hypnotic chants. So they're chanting and chanting. And you probably have seen uh, National Geographic um, documentaries where they are showing you this tribe in some sticks somewhere in some third world country, maybe even Kenya, for example. And, and you're seeing this tribe and they're, they're basically half nude and they're chanting and they have this shaman and it's night, there's a bonfire and they're singing and they just look weird and chanting. Yeah, it's something like that. So there's a lot of chanting, there's a lot of um, just divination happening. By divination, I mean um, relying on visions and waiting for the spirits to tell them something so that they can communicate what the spirits are saying and palm reading and all these things. This is what they are coming from and they come to church and they see an individual coming, a brother or sister in Christ, and they begin to now do what? Prophesy. Or someone is speaking in tongues and another one is interpreting those tongues that are being spoken. And they're like, oh, this probably a correlation here. Maybe Christianity is one among other. Religions. One, the Christian God is one among all these other gods who are being worshipped, is what they are thinking. And so Paul is coming and saying, hey, about the gifts of the Spirit's brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Do not assume that what you're seeing in church is the same as what you're seeing out there. Don't be uninformed. Don't get it twisted. It's not the same. Why? When you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by what? By mute idols. So what Paul is saying is your pagan worship, all the gods you worshipped, all of them, every single one, idols. We, the Christian faith, is not united with those faiths. Not at all united. We are not the same. So what you're seeing in church is not the same, do not assume that anything miraculous must be from God then. Just because in your pagan worship stuff, you prayed for the sick and they got well legitimately. Now make no mistake, dear brothers and sisters, Satan can heal. He can. So just because you saw a miraculous sign does not necessarily mean that it is from God. Don't assume. Now, Syncretization is so much in the Christian church today as well. I'll give you an example. There are pastors right now, as, as we are here worshiping God, there are churches right now. There are, there are pastors on TV right now, some TV channels in your home, where the pastor will say, hey, you know what? God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. God wants you to be happy. Surely God wants you to be happy. He does. And this preacher who's preaching, 
will also invite people to come forward to be laid hands on. And he lay hands on people and pray for them and these people get well. So for example, if Pastor Matt was sick in the head and I invited him to come so that I can lay hands on Pastor Matt who's sick so that he can get well. And he got well. And you knew that Matt is sick. He has this issue, cancer, whatever it is. And I laid hands on Matt and he got well. What would you think of me? Man of God. So anything I say, you will buy. Anything I sell, you will buy, right? Because I laid hands on him and I prayed for him, right? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, what day? The day when he comes, judgment day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, remember, they are talking to Jesus. So meaning it is legitimate. So whatever they're saying legitimately happened. So they're saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not do this, Lord? Legitimately. Then I I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Let that sit for a moment. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, many will say, not some, not a few, many will say to me, there'll be a whole crowd that will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do mighty works in your name? Did we not do this? And I'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I did not know you. To say, again, do not assume that everything that is miraculous comes from God. Let us not syncretize. See, the world will say to you and me, but man, God's, God's will for you is to be happy. God doesn't want you to suffer. That's what the world will say. Get a better job so that you can buy a better car. You can buy a better house, better holidays. You can buy a new iPhone, a new iPad. Look at what joy it will bring you. The clothes, the fashion, the, all this stuff, the travel. And yet Jesus will say to you, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Think about that image. Sheep among wolves. Do these two animals hang out together and sing kumbaya? (laughs) No. No. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. It's not going to go well for you. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, 27 to 30, it has been granted to you not only to to, to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. You will suffer. It's not going to be easy. You know, a lot of people say, just as a side, a lot of people say, you know, there's no persecution in North America. Like persecution has spared us. Persecution is in China and all that. Man, we are so wealthy here. We don't have persecution. Do you know why we don't have persecution? It's because we are not living our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. You go tell your neighbor the biblical, Christian, uh, the biblical sexual ethic. Go tell your neighbor that Jesus is Lord. And all the other gods who are worshipped, 
not God. See how it goes. And you're not saying it to stick it. You're saying it with a lot of meekness, a lot of love, a lot of care. You're not saying it to offend, but the gospel is offensive. Go tell a rich man, a very wealthy man, sell your possessions, give your money to the poor, and follow Jesus. See what this person will do to you. I'm serious. Why is there no persecution in North America? Because, dear Christians, we are not living our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's why. The moment we start, (laughs) your businesses will take a hit. You will not be able to live in the community you live in. That's why. Back to the sermon. Do not assume that everything that is miraculous is from God. Paul does not want these guys to be misinformed. And do not be misinformed, dear Christian. Not everything that is miraculous comes from God. No one speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is cursed, is what Paul is saying. Because in ancient pagan religions, curses were very much a part of um, pagan worship. At the same time, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And when he's saying no one says Jesus is Lord, it's not just saying Jesus is Lord the way you'd say Jesus is Lord. It actually means, is Jesus Lord over your life? Is he Lord over your money? Is he he Lord over your marriage? Is he Lord over your business practices? It's tax time. Some of you have either done your taxes or you're going to do your taxes. Are you going to be honest? Are you going to fudge the numbers a little bit? I mean, they've not caught you yet. So, I mean, a little, the decimal here rather than here, or just inflict them over here, you will get more return, or you might pay lesser taxes. All the temptation is huge. Is Jesus going to be Lord there? Is Jesus Lord in what you're watching on Netflix? Is he? No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who will enable you to say Jesus is Lord on all these things in your life. So Paul is saying there's one faith. One. We are it. All other faiths are idols. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, One faith. Second, one God. Verse 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. So one faith, one God. Now, what we're doing, just think funnel. So we're starting big, and we're coming down, and I'll end this sermon with... An application for you. So we talked about one faith, now one God, and he is talking about different gifts, same God who's distributing them, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of work, but in all of them, same God at work. We see the Trinity here because he starts here with verse 4 different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, so Spirit, Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God, Father. So we are seeing the Trinity here. Now, as a young man, I assumed that the Trinity was kind of like the side guy. 
the Spirit of God was kind of like the side guy. So uh, you've seen movies where the king is sitting on his throne. King is right there. Then the crown prince is sitting on the right-hand side of the king, right there. And then there is this other guy who stands on this other side who kind of announces, okay, king, uh, Matt Glezos is walking in. So he's the announcer. He's the guy who announces. So I assumed that the Spirit of God was like this side guy. Yeah, he has authority, but not like the Father and not like the Son. But this is not what Paul is trying to do here. When Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, he wants you to remember the giver of these gifts, the one we are talking about, the Spirit of God, yeah, he is equal, co-equal and co-eternal to God the Father himself. So God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always working together to accomplish God's divine purposes. In the Christian faith we say, theologically we say, we believe in one God who manifests himself in three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. But what stumbles us is this word person. When you think person, you're thinking, oh, me and you. I'm a person, you're a person. So let's take a good example. Matt is here. So Matt is male, I'm male. He has kids, I have kids. He's married, I'm married. He's a pastor, I'm a pastor. So we are two men. Yeah, okay, fine, he's white and black. But let's assume we were twins. And I'm the better looking one. Let's assume we're twins. <clears throat> Matt and I. You say, oh yeah, they look alike, they wear the same clothes, they like the same things. Only that, maybe if they go to, say, an establishment and they have a soft beverage, he might like Diet Pepsi and I might like Diet Coke. They both taste the same to me, but again, maybe not for you. So you'd say, oh, there, there are differences there because he's his own person. He might have some things he loves, and I might have some things I like. So we assume then with the Trinity the same way. Personhood, like the way Matt and I are. Or let's, let's remove Matt and I from the example. Let's bring in the Sardine twins who used to play for the Canucks. They are identical twins. And if you've not followed hockey a lot and you see these two guys standing side by side, you would not know who's who. And we think, oh, like the Spirit of God and, 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 and the Father, like the same, like the Sardine twins. But the twins, the Sardine twins, maybe there are a few things that one might like more than the other. And we assume that's how the Spirit of God is. That is not how person is viewed theologically when talking about the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are identical as identical can get. They love the same things to a T. They prefer the same things to a T. It's as though they were one person. And the only thing that distinguishes them is there is a there's language in the scripture that will say there is you and I when they're speaking to each other. And that is the personhood where there is a you and there's an I as they're speaking to each other in scripture. But outside of that, they are identical. It's like that spirit of God is here. Fully God is here. All power, all authority, all ability, everything identical here. If the, the son was here, identical. Same power, same, fully God. 
The Father is here fully God. So in other words, wherever the Spirit of God is, God is there. Wherever the Father is, God is there. Wherever the Son is, God is there. Full deity. No half. No one is better than the other. This is the Trinity. And they all work together to accomplish divine purposes. So you would say in creation, the Father, Creator, spoke everything into existence. But as he was speaking, he created all things through the Son. And as he was creating everything through the Son, the Spirit of God was hovering over what was created. And this word hover is the same way a mother hen would hover over her chicks. Ownership. So if you try to put your bony hand in there to try and cuddle some of these cheeks and the mother hen is there, it's not going to go well for you. Because the mother hen will remind you, these are mine. They belong to me, you shall not touch. The Spirit of God was hovering over what God had created with the same affection, if not deeper. Father, Son, Spirit in creation, or you'd say in salvation. The Father designed redemption, your redemption and mine. You sinner, I'm a sinner. And the Father designed your redemption and mine. The Son then became incarnate, walked the earth, died on a cross to pay for your sins and mine. The Spirit of God now applies what Christ has done for you. The Spirit of God is the one who convicts you. You are not good enough to know God. If God was seated right beside you, you wouldn't even know him. You wouldn't even want him. The reason why you want God is because the Spirit of God opened your eyes and told you the Father is right beside you. And he would you. And the price that Christ paid was applied to you. And the Father looks at you and smiles and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. Father, Son, Spirit, all working for your salvation. They work together. That's what in theology we would say is called the economy of the Trinity. They work together to accomplish the purposes of God. And the reason why Paul will bring it up here is to show the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives are coming from God, not just a side guy over here. They are coming from God. Third, so one faith, one God. Third, one giver. Now this is where the controversy is. So you have to listen carefully. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Pay attention to that, that verse. Now to each one, every single one of you, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good of everybody. So it's for all our good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, meaning these are now gifts that God will give to different people who are probably even here. So to some, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Right here. Where am I? Yeah, faith. To, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous 
powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the works of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So it's the spirit of God who determines. Matt will have this gift. Kelso will have this gift. Ezra will have this gift. And so on. And Megan will have this gift. The Spirit of God is the one who determines. Who will get what gift. So Ezra praying and praying and feeling bad because the Spirit wasn't given. That gift wasn't given to him. Yeah. The Spirit of God chose not to give Ezra that gift because he'll give Ezra this one. So, Ezra's gift being, let's say, preaching. Ezra can't go and feel, hey, you know what, I am better than you because I can communicate better than you. No, it's for the common good because Ezra may not be as compassionate as someone else may be, may not be as charitable, may not have the gift of mercy. Ezra may not have the faith that is needed to move something forward, to move an agenda forward. But he can preach. And someone else will have faith, and someone else will have mercy, and someone will have giving, and someone else will have compassion, and someone will have administration, and so on and so forth. So the Spirit of God will be given for the common good. Question, dear Christian, what's yours? Because Paul here will say, and now to each one, so every single one of you, you have a gift. What is yours? We'll come to that in a bit. But what's the controversy, Ezra? What is the controversy? Now, over here in this particular passage, there are nine gifts mentioned. But this is not an exhaustive list. There are many other gifts that are not mentioned in this particular text, but Paul mentions nine. Now, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, there's this issue of tongues that shows up. Speaking in tongues, it shows up. And some in some circles have said, tongues is the chief of all the of all the gifts, and if you don't have tongues, then you're kind of like a second class, but if you have tongues, you can talk in tongues, man, you're it. So theologians have divided all these spiritual gifts into three categories. The first would be the verbal gifts, second, serving gifts, third, sign gifts, or miraculous gifts. So the verbal gifts will be the teaching, the preaching, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, so on and so forth. The serving gifts will be like leadership and giving and mercy, faith, discernment, and so on. The sign gifts or the miracle gifts will be miraculous signs, the healings, the speaking in tongues, interpreting of tongues, and so on. The controversy is on that one. The sign gifts, the miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretation, there are two groups of people. One will be called a cessationist, another one continuationist. The cessationist will say, this sign gives the miracles, the healings, the tongues, interpretation, yeah, not there today. Those gifts died with the apostles and the apostle Paul. So the apostles meaning the disciples of Jesus and the apostle Paul. Yeah, when they died, yeah, those gifts died. Why? Because Paul will go somewhere and his shadow will touch someone and get healed. No, that was Peter. Paul would pray over a hanky. Send the hanky to hope. And it would heal someone in hope. Over a hanky. The hanky touched this person. Oh, he touched them. And they got healed. 
This is what Paul was able to do. So cessationists will say, ah, that kind of gift, not there today. That kind of gift, not there today. So you can't say that there is this one specific person who has this particular gift where if you're sick, go and see Joe. Oh, you, you have cancer? Joe. No, don't, don't see Matt. No, 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 Matt's gift is preaching. Go see Joe. Joe is the one with the gift of healing. Joe will pray for you, get healed. Cessationists will say, that's not there. Now, let me just nuance it a little bit and say, cessationists are not saying that healing, they're not saying that healing is not there today. They say that, yes, of course, if you are sick, you can call the elders of the church, they'll anoint you the oil, they'll pray for you, you can get well. And God can still heal you. But to say that Joe or Suzanne has the gift of healing, that they are the ones you seek after when you're in, not there. Not the same way as when people are sick, they would call Paul. They'll call Peter. A people will come and pray for this person and bam, not there. Continuationists, on the other hand, will say, ah, no, 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 no. Spiritual gifts including healings, tongues, miracles, are still in operation today. So question, who's right? Ask Matt. <laughs> Here's the argument. Again, we're running out of time, but I'll just, you have to listen quickly, okay? Listen quick. Cessationist argument is basically, it's very simple. Again, this is oversimplifying it. Cessationists will say that tongues were a sign gift. Tongues and miracles, this level of miraculous signs were assigned to the Jew to show, to show the Jew that Christ is truly the Messiah of God. So you will see tongues in the, in the book of Acts. You will see it in Acts chapter 2. In the day of Pentecost, uh, the disciples in the upper room, the, the um what seemed like tongues of fire come upon them. They go into the streets. The Jews had come to celebrate Pentecost. Jews from all over the world. So Jews who lived in Germany. Jews who lived in Africa. Jews who lived in Asia. They would all gather in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, while they're living in their other parts, like German, German Jews would be speaking German in Germany. But when they come to Jerusalem, they'll speak Hebrew. So now, or, or Jews who live in India, when they come to Jerusalem, they'll be speaking, they'll be speaking uh, uh, Hebrew. But when they're in India, they'll speak Punjabi, Gujarati, Hindi, whatever language. Jews from Africa, they might be speaking Swahili in Africa. But when they come, they're speaking Hebrew. So now, when these tongues of fire come in the upper room, the disciples go into the streets and they begin to do what? Preach the gospel and speak in tongues, which were languages. So the Germans, German Jews are hearing Paul, uh, Peter preaching in fluent high German. And they're like, but this guy's never been to Germany. He doesn't even know German culture. How is he speaking fluent high German? And then they're seeing all these other disciples speaking other languages fluently, not Hebrew. So that's the first time you see tongues. Second time you see it in Acts 10. Peter is in Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. Gentiles and Jews never hang out together. So if the gospel is for every person, how are Jews going to accept Gentiles? Peter begins to preach the gospel. Gentiles become Christians. The Spirit of God comes on them. They begin to prophesy and speak in tongues, languages. Jews see that these Gentiles are now speaking, prophesying, speaking in tongues. 
And they're like, oh, wow, what happened in Acts chapter 2 is now happening here. The day of Pentecost is also happening here. So God surely has accepted the Gentile. Third time we see is in Acts 19. Paul comes to Ephesus. He finds believers who, were, who had heard the gospel from a guy from a guy who was preaching John the Baptist's gospel. Repent, the Messiah is coming. They did not know Jesus had come, died, rose again. So Paul comes and says, hey, so what baptism did you receive? The baptism of John. Paul says, let me educate you. And he begins to tell them that the Messiah actually came, died, rose again. They accept to be baptized. And as they are baptized, the Spirit of God comes on them. They begin to prophesy. The Jews with Paul see, oh my, even the disciples of John, the Spirit of God has been given them. Verifying John's ministry. Point being, it was assigned to Jews. After Acts 19, we don't see tongues anywhere mentioned in the scriptures. And all the other epistles written after Acts chapter 19, we don't see tongues. So cessationists will say, to conclude their argument is, tongues were signed for the Jew, not there today. Even the miraculous signs, yeah, those were signs for the Jew. But the continuationist will say, ah, okay. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. So every single one of you has a gift and it is for the common good of the church. Now, if that being the case, the coming of the Spirit of God was not just merely associated with the Pentecost or to say, hey, the new era has come where Judaism is done, Christianity is here. But it's meant to say the Spirit of God and all the spiritual gifts are there for the entire period until Christ comes back again. So, to the question of tongues, there is no reason to think that the Acts chapter 2 tongues that we see in Acts chapter 2 languages is the only way we should think about tongues. But Acts chapter 4, uh, no, First uh, Corinthians 14 should be the standard. Why? Because in verse 10 of our text, Paul here says, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Different kinds meaning species. Like you have pets. You, dogs are not the only pet. There are people who have rabbits as pets. There are people who have hamsters as pets. And believe you me, there are people who have snakes as pets. Why you'd have a snake? I don't know, but you do you. So, there are different kinds of tongues. So, tongues can be languages, but they can also be mysteries uttered to God that cannot be understood. So, there are different species. There is no evidence that, sell, that, that demonstrates, according to continuationists, no evidence that demonstrates that this miracle gives the healing, the tongues, interpretation, die. There is no evidence. If anything, there is enough evidence to show that these charismatic gifts continued through church history. So the question, who's right? Like I said, ask Matt. But on a pastoral note there, I would say, on a pastoral note here, and I'm almost done. For the cessationist who may be here, if you're a cessationist and you're here, I'd say this. I really appreciate the fact that you are very cautious and very sensitive towards the abuses and the excesses of the Spirit of God that some movements within the charismatic circle, some, not all, some movements within the charismatic circles have abused spiritual gifts. I appreciate your concern. However, I will say, please, please, please do not hinder the work of the Spirit 
that is meant for the common good. Do not handcuff the Spirit of God. He can move. To the continuationist, I would say, man, I'm so happy that you're open to, to, the, to the move of the Spirit, but be cautious. Test everything. Remember, not every single miraculous sign comes from God either. Jesus said, many on that day, many, not some, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do A, B, C, D? And some of the things are miraculous signs. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. The source of all these spiritual gifts, though, is the Spirit of God who lives in you, dear Christian. Therefore, final point, the body. Verse 27 to 31. This one is a short two-minute point here. I'm skipping verse 12 to 26 because it is an illustration of the human body. And Paul will use the human body as an illustration to show this diversity in the body. Verse 27, now you, Tri-City, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guiding, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all in Separate tongues? That's a rhetorical question. The answer there is absolutely not. Now, eagerly desire the greater gift. What Paul is saying here is the body is not all the thumb. The body is not all the eye. The body is not all the ear. It's not all the, uh, the, the nose. The human body complements each other. There's a feet, toes, knees, belly, chest, arms, elbows, shoulders. And all these parts work together. There's no one part that is greater than another. Similarly, in the body of Christ, God will give different gifts to different people for the common good. So the question is, how would you identify your spiritual gift? Ask God. Ask God. If you're wanting to identify what your spiritual gift is, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Second, um, Matt mentioned the serve card. Maybe you should pick one on your way out. Just begin to serve somewhere. Yeah, you don't know what your gift is. Start serving somewhere. And while you're serving, you could be a parking lot attendant. You could be serving with kids. You could be doing whatever. Just start serving somewhere. And while you're serving, you can now begin to discern what other ministry opportunities that might interest you. And as you're looking and serving, the Lord would now lead you to what your spiritual gift might be. Maybe an area that really bothers you, like creating a meal train for those who are ill so that they can get food. Or maybe your Russia has invaded Ukraine, and so Ukrainians might come. And so the Lord may move you to open your home and host a couple of families from Ukraine who are seeking asylum in Canada. Or maybe organizing an outreach for young people in this community of the drug movement, the drug addiction that is in our society, in our community. Maybe God is moving you to rally the church and rally other like-minded individuals or evangelism or whatever it is. And what would motivate you? The common good of the body of Christ so that you may build the body of Christ. What is your gift, dear Christian? There are no freeloaders here. If you're not serving then I encourage you 
May you start today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you though for the way you work in such a dynamic way. Father, Son, Spirit, working together to accomplish your purposes, Father. So I pray this day, Lord, would you help us as a body of Christ to discern what our gifts are and not to elevate one over another, but Lord, to serve you in a manner that is worthy of you. We commend ourselves now to you, Lord. Pray that you'd bless us as we step forward to serve you for the common good of this body. In Christ we pray. Amen.